All right, before this episode starts, I want to give you a brief synopsis because it's pretty heavy sledding. The synopsis is Owen Barfield wrote about the importance of pre-rational thought and language. It heavily influenced J.R.R. Tolkien's work. Now, nearly 100 years later, Ian McGilchrist is writing about the same thing in his celebration and emphasizing of the importance of the right hemisphere of the brain. Enjoy. The elf lays down his harp to kill an orc. A few notes on the Inklings, Ian McGilchrist, and poetic language. This isn't really an organized essay or podcast episode. It's really, as the subtitle indicates, a, a collection of notes. But, but they are organized. I think it's closer to essay than random notes. But you decide. Poetry wanes before logical thought. All right. Language, said Ralph Waldo Emerson, is fossil poetry. Owen Barfield used that quote in the conclusion of his classic book, Poetic Diction. He said the pithy phrase, quote, covers practically, unquote, everything in his book. But what does that mean? Language is fossil poetry. It means that poetry came prior to language, which means it came prior to logical thought. Language is, quote, the prime material of logical construction, unquote, said Barfield in Poetic Diction. By the time language progressed through millennia, it lost its poetic beginnings, and though it retains things like metaphor, it is a fossilized remnant of itself. It became that fossilized remnant because, even though language came prior to logical thought, logic in turn employed language for its own purposes. As Western civilization, quote-unquote, progressed, logic became stronger and stronger. The stronger it became, the more poetry receded. In the words of the famous historian from the 19th century, Thomas Macaulay, quote, As civilization advances, poetry almost necessarily declines. Unquote. Yet, poetry clearly required some sort of thought. It isn't just rational or logical thought. It is, to frame it in a Taoist way, non-thought. And because poetry is prior to logical thought, poetry is higher than prose. Prose being the tool of logical thought. But if poetry isn't logical thought, what is it? It is poetic knowledge, and that's the name of a, a minor classic by a guy named James Taylor in the 1970s. Not the 1970s singer-songwriter, but <laughs> um, a scholar named James Taylor who wrote that book. A um, book called Poetic Knowledge and published it, I think, with State University, New York Press, or some such thing. Anyway. All right. Owen Barfield anticipated Ian McGilchrist. All those ramblings above were prompted when I attended a lecture by Prof Professor Brad Berzer about the Inklings last Sunday. Berzer has a book coming out about the Inklings. By the way, that's J.R.R. Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, and many others who used to meet when they are at Oxford. Anyway, Berzer said Owen Barfield's classic poetic diction, quote, exerted a profound influence, unquote, on the Inklings. If you go to my website... 
there's a link to the lecture by Berzer, and if you go to minute 31, 35 seconds at the lecture, you can listen to what he talks about, or what he says about Barfield's classic and its influence in Inklings. He said, poetic diction especially influenced Tolkien, who had already reached many of Barfield's conclusions, and had started creating Middle-earth over a decade before Barfield published poetic diction. Berzer goes on to say that these are kind of like half-formed ideas that Tolkien had about the importance of poetic language. Anyway, it's all thought-provoking stuff, but those conclusions in poetic diction were reached 100 years ago. Archaeology has come a long ways in the past 100 years, and contemporary science, too. It's taught us a lot. It's taught us a, a lot about stuff that Barfield wouldn't have had access to back when he wrote poetic diction. Does that whole concept of Barfield's you know, that language started poetic in a pre-logical mode, then degenerated slash advanced <laughs> into logic bomb prose. Does that whole concept hold up? Yeah, I think it does. When I was at the lecture and Professor Berzer provided that nutshell summary of poetic diction, I really perked up. It was like he was paraphrasing Ian McGilchrist's contemporary or current classic, The Master and His Emissary. Berzer on Poetic Diction. The book describes how rationalism and logic have crippled the pre-rational poetic nature of our language. McGilchrist says pretty much the same thing. The left hemisphere and its tools of logic, manipulation, and division have usurped the primacy of the right hemisphere's quote-unquote tools of music, empathy, and wholeness. In McGilchrist, the right hemisphere is a master, and it it relates to others. It sees the wholeness. It has empathy. It's like artistic, perhaps. Whereas the left hemisphere is more practical. It's logical. It's rational. And it does the bidding of the right hemisphere. So anyway, when I got home from the lecture, I immediately combed through McGilchrist's chapter, Language, Truth, and Music, looking for corroboration. And it didn't take me long. Barfield cited Ralph Waldo Emerson, Thomas Macaulay, and said the earliest language was poetic. McGilchrist, citing various sources including Benedetto Croce and British classicist K.J. Dover, who just died in 2010, writes about, quote, the otherwise baffling historical fact that poetry evolved before prose, unquote. Further, McGilchrist denigrates prose, noting that it was first known as pesos logos, or pedestrian logos, as opposed to dancing logos of poetry. He points out that early poetry was sung, quote, The evolution of literary skill progresses, if that is the correct word, from right hemisphere music, words that are sung, to right hemisphere language, the metaphorical language of poetry, to the left hemisphere language, the referential language of prose. Music to poetry to prose. It's a progression, or in <laughs> a Crest view, um, a deterioration. And anyway, so that was just a warm-up. The rest of that chapter by McGilchrist is a peon to poetic knowledge and a condemnation of our left hemisphere's obsession with rationality control and their tools, the language of prose. McGilchrist emphasizes, citing numerous examples and proofs, that language is not necessary for thought at all. Indeed, McGilchrist points out that language can impede thought. Most thinking he says, occurs without prose. Imagination, innovation, intuitive problem-solving, artistic creativity all require us to transcend prose. 
and the left hemisphere. McGillcrest notes that the right hemisphere's exclusive ability to relate to the outside world gives it the exclusive ability to understand metaphor. He points out the non-purposive and social nature of music when contrasted to the manipulative and controlling nature of prose. He sees that the wu-wi, or non-action of Taoism, is closely related to one of the right hemisphere's main tools, intuition, which is opposed to rationality, which is one of the left hemisphere's main weapons. Last section. Tolkien's elves, no doubt informed by Barfield's poetic diction, embody McGillcrest's ideal brain. When I got done with McGillcrest's chapter on language, I suddenly realized that he was describing an earlier age, one that predated the grasping, exploitative, manipulative rationality of modernity. I then realized that Tolkien scholars consistently say that that's exactly what Tolkien was doing when he created Middle-earth, which isn't surprising since he worked within the proto-McGillcrest Barfield's understanding of poetic language and knowledge. Part of me wanted to conclude that Tolkien's description of the Shire, you know, where the hobbits live, the Shire, is proto-McGillcrest, but upon reflection, I don't think so. I think the Shire is more like a world where the right hemisphere and its love of music and poetry and friendship was still master, yes, but where the left hemisphere and its love of writing and commerce was already exercising a measure of independence from its master. The Shire was a world divided, so to speak, or a culture undergoing evolution, but still one where the right hemisphere was mostly in control. I think Tolkien's perfect proto-McGillcrest form is found in Rivendell and Lorien, or Lothlorien, the last kingdoms of the elves. The elves, I believe, display the proper relationship between the hemispheres, almost to perfection. The musical and poetic and playful nature of the right hemisphere served by the more mundane functions of the left hemisphere. The elf could mesmerize by singing with a harp, then put it down to kill an orc with a sword. It is, I believe, a perfect illustration of the master right hemisphere dispatching the emissarial left hemisphere. After the task is done, the harp is picked back up, and the left hemisphere, with its tools of practical skills and control, relaxes at his master's feet until called upon again. <laughs>